read in chapter 6, the first five verses. Galatians is a pretty complex book. It's a, a pretty complex book in the New Testament uh, with some insider-focused issues. Uh, so I'm going to bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks. Uh, Paul the Apostle, meaning he was one of the first original followers of Jesus, Paul the Apostle planted this church in Galatia, and he was writing to the Christians there in Galatia because he was concerned about reports he was hearing back reports he was receiving about how they were being led astray by what we've called false teachers. These were false teachers who were making, as we've said a couple times in this series, they were making non-saving things, saving things. They were making, making things that weren't central to the gospel, central to the gospel. These false teachers were called Judaizers. Um, if you've never heard that term, it's J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R. Uh, Judaizers were insisting that these Galatian Christians, uh, who were non-Jewish Gentiles, uh, Gentiles is just a word that means non-Jewish, these Judaizers were insisting that the Galatian Christians maintain the old Jewish rules and traditions in order to be a truly saved Christian, in order to be a perfect and complete Christian, as uh, the Judaizers were calling them to be. So they were sort of Jewishizing, they were Judaizing what it meant to follow Jesus by saying, in effect, that these Galatian Christians, who were not Jews, had to become Jews before they become Christians. Everybody tracking? <laughs> so these non-Jews were being told by the Judaizers, you've got to become Jews before you become Christians. That's how you become a perfect, a complete, a real Christian. So this outside uh, faction, these false teachers, were making non-saving things, saving things. Things that are externals to the gospel, central to the gospel. You have to be circumcised, especially, they were saying. There are lots of other issues, but it's sort of centered around this issue of circumcision. You Galatians have to be circumcised in order to be real Christians like we are, Jews who became Christians. And Paul is saying throughout this book, uh, no, you don't. So, in effect, and while there are other issues that they were trying to hold them to, uh, these old Jewish standards, it centered around this main issue of circumcision uh, because it had become, for the Jews, one of the main external signs of being part of the family. So, so that's what was going on in the context of this book. And Paul was miffed. Uh, at these false teachers, um, but he was also quite miffed. Um, that's the technical term. Um, just kidding. Um, Paul was quite miffed, not just with the Judaizers, but also the Galatians. The Galatian Christians, because they allowed themselves to be easily led astray. To be led astray from the essentials of the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that saves from sin. So Paul is miffed both at the outsiders, the Judaizers, as well as the Galatians. So, they were turning away from the gospel to follow what he calls a different gospel. They were turning away from the gospel of grace that he had taught them, and they were turning back to a gospel of human-based righteousness, a, a different gospel. And so this is what Paul says in Galatians uh, 1.6. He says, he starts out the letter by saying, Listen, y'all, I am astonished. That's the quite miffed part. I am quite miffed. I am astonished that you are so quickly, so easily deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Meaning, 
I planted this church. I, I told you what grace is. I showed you who Jesus was. And you are already so quickly deserting that grace. I mean, God himself called you in that grace. I'm astonished that you're deserting it and you're turning to what he calls here a different gospel. How easily you become to follow the traditions of men that are being imposed on you that have nothing to do with the essentials of the gift of grace that was given us in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if you're taking notes, is a, is a great little uh, summary of what grace and the gospel mean. Uh, 8 and 9 say in Ephesians 2, By grace you have been saved... Through faith, this is not of your own doing. You didn't do this. It's the gift of God given to you. It's not the result of your works so that you can't boast. And so Paul says, don't forget, that's a gift of grace given to you. So stop being tempted to follow the traditions of men that turn the gift of grace into what Paul calls here in Galatians 1.6, a different gospel. So with that context, as we move ahead here to Galatians 6, Paul starts off here in Galatians 6 with the first word by using uh, some family language. And he does so for a couple reasons. Number one, to remind them that they're part of this new Jewish, I'm sorry, this new Jesus family. Uh, They're part of this new Jesus family. And to remind them that they don't have to become Jews before they become Christians to follow Jesus. And secondly, he uses family language here to sort of model the gentleness he's about to ask them to use with one another. He's been miffed, he's been frustrated, uh, both at the Judaizers and at the Galatian Christians. And now he's softening and saying, but listen, we're together in this, we're a family, we take care of one another. It's going to be okay if you'll just do what I'm about to tell you here. So jump in with me at Galatians 6, verse 1. First word, he says, brothers. Family language. Brothers, I know I've been using strong language with you, but don't forget this. We're a Jesus family. And in this family, in this family, you who are spiritual should restore those who have sinned in a spirit of gentleness. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's just a fancy word for sin, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if you're caught red-handed and seized by sin, which is, uh, as Paul says in chapter 5, those kinds of things, those, those sinful transgressions are evident, like you know it when you see it. Uh, he lists a bunch of them there. Uh, you can look at that in Galatians 5 if you want to uh, a little later. But he says, if anybody's caught in those kinds of things uh, that are obvious, then those who are spiritual, he says, those who are spiritual, we'll define that in just a second, should restore the one who sinned in a spirit of gentleness. Now press pause, we're going to spend some time here. He says, you who are spiritual. When he says, now you who are spiritual, Paul's not creating like this, uber-holy category of of super-spiritual people here. It's just a way of saying those who have the Spirit of God in them and who understand how to deal with sin well. That's, by the way, a, a test for you. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you should know how to deal with sin well. He's just saying that's what someone who is spiritual, who has the maturity of the Spirit of God in them, who knows how to deal with the sin of their own, because of the Spirit of God, that kind of person is the spiritual person here. So there's simply those 
who have the Spirit of God in them and who thus understand how to deal with, who, how to deal with sin well because they've dealt with their own sin. It's almost like saying, uh, those of you who know the drill, right? Those of you who know the drill, keep moving, should restore the, the one who transgressed, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul has just listed toward the end of chapter 5. And, and in that list, he says gentleness because one of the things that the Spirit produces in a believer in Jesus is gentleness. So he's saying, you who are spiritual, who know the drill because you've seen this before in yourselves and in others, you are to restore the offender with gentleness. He's saying, listen, don't be a punk about this. Right? Like, like when someone sins, it's not a gotcha moment. This isn't a chance to expose the person. Right? Like, like nowadays, with social media and the internet and, and, and information at a constant flow in front of us, we see people exposed in the media all the time, right? And, and there's this temptation for us to feel the sense of like, I knew it. I knew that politician on the other side that I hate. Right? Or all manner of things like that. Those, those moments of exposing sin in others uh, can be a temptation for us. So he says when someone is caught in sin, it should never be an opportunity to feel superior. This is an opportunity, he says, rather to help the person find and follow Jesus well. The word Paul uses here for uh, restore was used a lot outside the Bible. Uh, he uses it three times in Galatians. Here it describes uh, a number of types of things like uh, a broken bone, mending a torn net, uh, repairing the damage of a ship that's been off um, after a rough voyage and come back in. So it's the same kind of idea here. The goal of this restoration is to right the relationship between the person and God. So don't be a self-righteous punk, he says. If we are all really a part of this new Jesus family where the Spirit of God is in us, then we should all be pretty painfully familiar with our own sin and our need for Jesus, right? So we should restore one another gently. Not to delight in exposing uh, someone else so that we feel good about ourselves. That's the kind of temptation uh, that, that, that makes churchianity or legalism or, or non-saving things saving things. We should restore one another gently, not to expose someone else or delight in that so that we feel good about ourselves, but we are to do so to bring the person back into the family, into right relationship with God. And if you do find yourself uh, sort of feeling superior uh, or that temptation when, when sin in someone else is exposed or uncovered, Paul says you should check yourself. You should check yourself. Keep reading. He says it right there. Keep watch on yourself. Keep an eye out for your own stuff. Stay alert lest you too be tempted. Tough talk when it comes to judging another's sin is not a sign of gentleness that comes from the Spirit, but it's often a sign of self-righteous legalism that refuses to admit one's own need for grace. So Paul says, 
Don't become like a haughty, self-righteous punk. That helps no one. And it damages you. Because you're living in, in a deceived way of thinking about yourself. He'll say that later on. Instead, here's the key stuff we'll focus on a lot today. Instead, verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Two quick notes. Number one, the word Paul uses here for bear is used in verse 5 to describe sort of carrying a load, like having a a backpack. And, And secondly, a burden means anything heavy that cannot be carried alone. So, bearing one another's burdens means we must learn, as a part of this new Jesus family, we must learn to help carry the weights that someone else cannot carry themselves. It's, it, it's really easy. This isn't difficult to understand here. Help each other share the load. Take something out of someone else's backpack and put it in yours if you're able to carry it, right? Like it doesn't mean you have to take the entire backpack off and carry the burden away. It can simply mean making someone else's burden lighter. Now, before we move on to the text, um, I suspect some of you feel like I do. Um, because I, I, I struggle with this feeling of like, I, I can't even bear my own weight. And now you're asking me to take the weight off of somebody else. Like I cannot even carry my own burdens. How am I supposed to carry someone else's? How can you expect me to do that? How can you expect us to do that? When I know, when I, when I think of the stuff I've got in my own life and my own responsibilities, I'm the first to say, listen, there, there's no way I can carry that by myself. Uh, Paul answers that in a few verses, um, so just hang in there, we'll get there. But for now, Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and then he says this, this is profound, by so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ here? A couple notes uh, to define it for us. In the previous chapter in Galatians 5, 14, Paul says the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor, and Jesus defines neighbor as anyone other than you. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says this because, in Galatians 5, he says it because on the night before Jesus goes to the cross to die for sins, right, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor and love one another as I have loved you. So here in Galatians 6, 2, Paul takes those concepts and says, when you bear one another's burdens, it's an example of fulfilling that law of Christ, which is just simply a way to say that when we help other people in ways that they need, because their burden is too heavy, it is nothing less than doing the work of Jesus for someone else. It's a reflection of the same kind of love that compelled Jesus to go to the cross when none of us deserved it. And and so so we in the body of Christ have an opportunity, listen, to bear the burdens of others in a way that reflects the same kind of selfless love that Jesus exemplified on the cross. It is nothing less than reflecting the work of Jesus. 
So some warnings. Verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, some refuse to help others because they think they're something special. They think they've achieved some sort of like spiritual maturity that is beyond bearing one another's burden or another's burden, where they can find all these rationalizations for why that other person doesn't deserve their help, right? Like, we're all good at that. Are we preaching yet? So if anyone thinks he is something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says, don't tolerate any form of spiritual superiority. Those who have like this attitude that they don't need to help or, 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 or shouldn't be helping uh, to carry the burdens of others because, well, you know, they deserve it. Um, that kind of person has a heart problem, Paul says. Now, there's a, a mix of uh, love and truth, but that's not the context here. He's saying if you see a burden and you can meet it, meet it. Now, he mitigates that a little later with, like, take care of your own stuff, too. We'll get there in a second. But Paul, at this point, says, if anyone thinks, like, you've got all these reasons to not have to share the load when you can, watch out. That's a sign of a kind of spiritual superiority uh, that creates this legalism and, and churchianity uh, that, that molds people into the image of self rather than Jesus. That's kind of what we're talking about in this whole series here. We want to be a church... That is about making disciples of Jesus, not making disciples of the non-saving things as if they're central. That's what we're calling churchianity here. So if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, when he actually isn't contributing, that's the sense of that he is nothing there, then he deceives himself. So, keep warning us. Verse 4, Paul says, but, (laughs) in other words, as a way to make sure spiritual superiority doesn't happen to you, Let each one test his own work, meaning examine your own life, make sure you're pitching in to take care of others, and then his reason to, quote, boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, verses 4 and 5 here uh, begin to sound like the opposite of what Paul's been saying all along up to this point, right? He says, let, one test, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. He's just told us at the beginning in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And now he's saying, each will have to bear his own load. So which is it? What he's saying here is this, and encapsulating a lot by saying this, take care of your own responsibilities, be satisfied with your own work, and don't feel the need to compare it to others. He's saying there's a, there's a, there's a balance here in this mutual interdependence of taking care of your own stuff and having a sense of I am achieving the work God's given me for myself without the need to compare it to others. That's part of how you have a healthy uh, way of thinking about how we bear one another's burdens. He's maintaining a balance here that isn't contradictory, but it's complementary. He's maintaining a balance between being responsible for ourselves and for others. He's saying we should work toward bearing one another's burdens while likewise shouldering our own. 
And those aren't mutually exclusive. In the body of Christ, the amazing thing is when we fulfill the law of Christ, when we act with one another in ways that mirror the work of God for us in Jesus, given to us when we don't deserve it, when we do that in the family of God, it's mutually interdependent in a way that evidences, that shows forth the heart of God to love. And here's how this mutual interdependence uh, works. In a sense, it's really, it's really fairly simple. The church that comes together for the common purpose of fulfilling the law of Christ's love experiences in that common purpose a unity that is its own fuel for making it up the hill together. Let me say that again because it's mouthful, but it's an important way to summarize what Paul's saying here. The church that comes together for the common purpose of fulfilling the law of Christ's love experiences in this common purpose a unity, a oneness that is its own fuel for making it up the hill we're all traveling together. When we're bearing our own load and sharing others' loads, it's coming together with a unity of purpose we cannot otherwise experience. And that is a witness of the power of God. Think of how amazing it is when a bunch of sinners comes together and they say, I need the power of God in me. You need the power of God in you. I'm doing my best to carry my load, but I'm going to try to also help bear yours. When that happens in a body of believers, it is nothing short of a witness to the law of Christ's love made known in his people. Now, it sounds simple when I say it to you, right? Like, well, that's a great vision, Scott. Let's just go ahead and bear everybody's burdens. Paul knows this isn't easy, right? He knows this isn't easy. That's why he says in just a few verses, a few verses later, that we should not grow weary of doing good. This work of being the family of God, of showing forth the glory of God here on earth, it's work, y'all. It's work. It's why he says we should not grow weary of doing good for in due season, in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. Think about, think about this. This is how family works, isn't it? When I'm struggling to make it up the hill, someone who isn't struggling in the ways that I am helps me carry my stuff. In times or in places where I'm strong, and I see you in need, I help you carry your stuff. In a sense, it's really that easy conceptually. If we all work toward carrying our own loads and sharing the loads of others, as we see the needs and are blessed to share, uh, we can all make it up the hill together. Here's the thing. You can't make it up the hill on your own. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceived. 
And the church that helps you become, the body of Christ that helps you become who you're meant to be, will model and bring you into mutual interdependence where you're learning to share your load, to take care of your load, to bear your burden, and to share the loads of others. This is important for us in a world that we live in right now. (laughs) Uh, Because in in a world where we are constantly coming across messages and means that suggest that you should fall in love with taking care of yourself. Google it, I dare you, it's all over the place. Fall in love with taking care of yourself. In a world that sends us messages like that day after day, Paul says, that's hogwash. Not only do you take care of yourself, you also take care of one another's burdens. And and the mutual interdependence of that within the body of Christ is how we express and it's how you express the love of Jesus. This is why we say we believe something absolutely radical at First Christian Church. We believe the local church is the place where you live out a vision for God's call in your life in a way that shows you, that models for you, that brings you into this vision of who you're called to be. Someone who is able to take care of your load and yet looks to the needs of others. That is a witness to the world that needs to know Jesus. I want you to think of Think of this dynamic like this. We live in a world where we hear messages of uh, fall in love with taking care of yourself. Fall in love with taking care of yourself. Taking care of himself was not on Jesus' mind when he was walking toward a cross on which he died to save you from sin. So what does it look like to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ? Others-focused thoughtfulness in action. It's thinking about the needs of others. It's seeing their burdens. It's being aware of those things. It's opening your eyes with the heart of God in the same kind of way that the trajectory of Christ going to the cross, in the same kind of way that looks in the lives of others and sees the things that they need help with. So it's just, it's just love in action. If you see someone who could use a ride home from church today, offer it to them. <laughs> if you wonder how someone is doing, contact them. If you think of a financial burden someone else is carrying and you're blessed to be able to, to bring some relief, write them a check. This, this isn't rocket science. Possible scenarios that call us to bear one another's burdens are endless. They're as endless as the creativity we have uh, to be thinking about and to be intentional about it. And it's really simple. If you know of a need someone has and you are blessed to be able to help, your help is a reflection of Jesus' love for you in the cross. What a radical vision for, for someone's life that really is. Your help can be a reflection of of Jesus' love for you on the cross. And guess what that reflection of love of Jesus for you means when you give it to somebody else. You, you teach them. You show them. This is what sacrificial, Jesus-like love looks like. 
the point Paul is making here is that love isn't content just to be a, a feeling. It presses on into action. So just end by asking yourself this simple question, who are you supposed to help and how are you supposed to help them? If you spent 30 seconds, Lord, who am I supposed to help? How am I supposed to help them? This is a practice in which we engage because over time this becomes a habit that forms us. Who are you called to help and how are you called to help them? Let's go ahead and pray together, friends. Father, again in the quiet of this moment, we ask for clarity of mind and heart so that we can see what you've called us um, to see. Uh, forgive us for living in a way that doesn't take your cross as seriously as uh, you meant it for us. Teach us, Lord, to continue uh, to lean into the amazing truth that you loved us and gave yourself for us. And that you gave us everything we need to bear our own loads. And that you've given us, Lord, an example so that we can bear the loads of others. We ask, Father, simply that you would uh, use these simple truths to teach us and to show us what it means to be a church that loves people in ways that demonstrate your unconditional love for us. Make of us a people of grace. Make of us a people who exemplify your love and that that would be a witness to others. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.